0: Dark Art Society podcast covers a variety of important and contemporary issues, including dark art as well as other kinds of art, literature, film, music, also culture, philosophy, dreams, paranormal experiences, magic, and a whole lot more than that. I'm Mike Carell, director of Chet's Art. I like to paint monsters, and you are listening to the Dark Art Society podcast hosted by renowned artist
1: Chet Zar do <laughs> There, you get to hear that second part of this song. Again. You got to hear via Chet's mouth. <laughs> and as, as Joy and I would say,
0: we, we would say, Chet music made obsolete. Because we have this thing where when we're driving around, you know, and you're listening to music. And then, like, you really like a guitar part or a drum part or a whatever part. And you start doing it with your mouth, you know. You start, uh-huh. do, like, along with it. And then we'll always stop and look at each other. And I'll be like, you know, bass made obsolete. <laughs> or, you know, violin made obsolete. That's it's good. just our stupid little joke in the car that we do.
1: Yeah, you you guys have some you guys have some good uh, weird terms. Like, what's that one? That one that that I was so impressed with. Reconnoiter? No, not not reconnoiter. That was pretty good. That was a good one. You
0: you, you definitely thought the reconnoiter was pretty funny. Yeah. I you being like, I was, the only time I ever heard that word I was never, on Deadwood. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I heard you say it, and I was like, "What the hell does reconnoiter mean?" And then I heard it on a show, and I was like, "What." No it, no, it was like, like the no, it was it was raggle fraggle or something like that. Like when you're disgruntled ragged dragon uh, or what does she say?
0: I don't know. Really? You lost me on that one. Joy Joyce is. Oh, razzafracken. Yeah,
1: razzafracken.
0: Yeah, Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, what, you're like, just It's like if, you're,
1: mutter- it's yeah, like if muttering. you're
0: muttering under your breath to yourself, but it's like clear that you're kind of swearing maybe right. about something you're like, oh, son of a bitch, about fucking
1: yeah, dude. Yeah, like right, that. Right.
0: That's raz-fracking. Yeah, yeah, I
1: like that. Right. Yeah. We
0: do have some strange terms. Raz-fracking, that's good. Dang old raz-fracking. <laughs> so how's it going? Oh, well, it's going the same as it went the last two times <laughs> that we started recording over the past couple hours. You look we've a little... Been, we've been Catching
1: up. You look a little better since we first started, I have to say. You look a little more awake. I don't know if something happened.
0: You, you always, you know, what's funny is you always seem so uh, tuned into how I appear. <laughs> like you always make, you know, you always make a comment, it seems like, about, you know, how
1: I look, like if I look tired. Well, or I see I your face right stubborn. there, and there's. I can see it clearly because there's light right in your face. I'm like kind of hiding in the shadows. Maybe, can't it's, really not, tell. maybe
0: it's not. that anything changed with me, but the quality of the light that changed. Out the window, on the side <laughs> of my face. I look less like a vampire and more and more like a living, breathing
1: person. Nah, I can I can tell your your I can tell your mood by your expression.
0: It's, it's The magic ingredient. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wonder what that That's is, what listening audience. Hmm.
0: Well, you know, they there was some good deals this the, at the end of this last week. That's all I'll say. You know, I live close to places where they have good deals.
1: It's so dumb the, that it's illegal
0: on, on the special ingredient it's factor. Just a matter of time. To, it's so you know, it dumb. Happened, happened to be that there was a special <laughs> special
1: date and that the deals were really good. So someday we're gonna look back and go, I can't believe weed was illegal. It is so dumb. I mean, even if you don't smoke it, it just is so dumb to be illegal. So stupid,
0: yeah I know, but I mean, we've been saying that our whole lives,
1: so I know I never thought I would you know see, it see where it see is. where it is, yeah, and of course <laughs> i don't I'm not like i don't I hardly smoke at all anymore now that it's finally legal i'm not it's like it doesn't really affect me like it used to when I was younger, so now I don't really smoke it that much, so want, 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 yeah that's,
0: that's <laughs> but for for those of us. Those of us who don't have that that particular problem, it's good for us.
1: Yeah, hey, I'm I'm all for it. You know, I'm all I'm at least
0: for. You know, the truth better is better than it's like, for damn sure. You know day, what I, I sure. saw that was really cool. I, I saw somebody post on on four twenty one that they were like, you know, however many years, it was like seven, seven years sober or something, happy 421 to me. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really cool. I thought that was, you know, because the thing is, is that we can all rally around it because it's good for some people, but just because it's good for some people doesn't mean it's good for all people. And for some people, it's quite bad actually. So, you know, it's, it's, I think it's one of those things where it should be legal and it should be allowed. We should be allowed the opportunity to make our own personal decisions about what it is putting in our body. But you know, for some people, they, they need to not use it anyway, even if it is legal. Yeah,
1: <laughs> so, right, right. You know? Yeah, if it's legal, it doesn't mean you have to smoke it.
0: Yeah, exactly. There are a lot of, alcohol is legal. There's a lot of people who just shouldn't drink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Definitely.
1: Anyway, so okay. Um, okay. I got Doc in with me today. He decided to come and lay down.
0: Came in for the third round. Yeah.
1: That's a good Hi, Doc. So he's gonna he's going to listen to the Q&A. You
0: need to take a trip out here, stat, and meet Lupe.
1: I know. I can't believe I haven't met Lupe. You would love Lupe,
0: Lupe, dude. You would love Lupe. She is the sweetest thing.
1: Yeah. She seems sweet. Have you met Dottie? Did you meet Dottie? Oh, yeah. 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 We've met
0: Dottie multiple times because Joy and I met Dottie, I think, the first time for Dystopia when we came out. She must have been little. And then I met Dottie again when I came out last year when we did our Dystopia trip and went to the Salton Sea. Yeah. She's gigantic. So, yeah, gigantic. Her, now, better multiple times. She slimed me numerous
1: times yeah, with her cat. Slimy the dog's drilling constantly.
0: Yeah. So when are you gonna when are you gonna take a trip out here?
1: Um, it's I don't know. Here. When my Patreon. Gets enough people to where I don't have to hustle so hard. I could actually so maybe everybody
0: a... needs to back, back patreon.com forward slash Chetzar to fund a trip for him to come <laughs> out here for a Land of Enchantment tour. And then everyone wins.
1: Yeah. You all get right.
0: great rewards. Chet gets some time off, and I get to do a Land of Enchantment tour. So yeah, everybody I would wins. love to
1: do that. I'd love to take some time off. It'd be amazing. I don't even know what that's like. I know you don't. But man, I'm posting so much stuff on my Patreon. It's crazy. People It, it seems crazy. seems like on Facebook that I'm not really doing anything, but man, I'm busier than I ever have been, I think.
0: Yes, you are, you you at this stage in the game, from my observations, now granted I don't look at all the Patreons, but your Patreon is delivering in a manner that is obscene
1: compared to (laughs) the competitors. I'm just posting everything I'm working on, I happen to be working on a ton of stuff right now, so.
0: You say that, but it's like, I I know you better than that, because I I know. Well, it's part of it. I know what skill level you have with your writing, and so when I, and I'm, I back your Patreon, so I see everything, and the thing is is that you you know the copy that you're you're putting down for these posts is not insignificant you know what I mean it's a lot to sit down and write up you know lengthy things to go through old work and old images and tell stories about it to edit these tutorials together to you know all of the stuff that you're doing it's not a small feat trust me I know because how many different places do I do that.
1: Get out of here, dog. He's supposed to come and sit for 10 minutes for some reason. Okay, I'm back. Sorry. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm doing my best. I'm just trying to get people over there. It's so, it's weird. It's really weird. I'm I'm going to take some ads out. I think I'm going to do some paid ads because once people are over there, they totally dig it. So it's a new platform though. It took me a year year to get on it myself. So I can't really complain (laughs) about people not wanting to get on it right away.
0: No, I mean it's one of those things that it's it's going to reach a, a cumulative mass. I mean that's how that's how I've you know f- even for the ones that I've been involved in for my own and and for the one we're doing together. It's just it's one of those things where, you know, it's about awareness. Yeah, that's what yeah. all the stuff is that we do is about awareness, and that's why we're always reaching out to people to, you know, more than more than a dollar a month. Just people spreading the news is more right. valuable than money. It's awareness right. is
1: where it is the game. You know, speaking of awareness, how are those How's the Twilight Hotel Kickstarter and Steve's Rubberhead Kickstarter going?
0: They they're they're doing what they're doing. I mean, you know, Twilight each Hotels,
1: pro- I thought it was pretty good. I mean, it, it's it's you know what, it's got a few thousand, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, like I said, each each, or as I was going to say before you interrupted, <laughs> the each Kickstarter kind of has a life of its own. You know that. I mean, yes. you worked Kickstarters, and so it's like they each kind of have their own bio rhythm as it were. And Steve's was like hot and heavy first 24 hours, you know, cracking out like $19,000. Right. And then it's just been really steady, constant progression, basically. Right. Slow you know, and, steady. And, that's, and the funny thing is normally you see a campaign lull and in Steve's there's been no lull. You know, it's just been slow and steady. And normally what I see is huge flurry, big lull, huge flurry. That's kind of like the typical that you and I right. are at least have grown accustomed to. His is very different than that. Now you look at the Twilight Guys, theirs reminds me of my first Kickstarter for I like to paint monsters. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They're just it's 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 moving slow and steady, but it didn't have a big bang out the gates. Right. I mean, I walked away with fifteen hundred dollars after the first twenty-four hours. And that was at the Paradise Artist or Paradise Tattoo Gathering with you promoting on the ground, giving patches right out to people for free (laughs) filming, you know? So it reminds me of that. And I think that the thing is, is that as long as, and this isn't the case of anybody who ever does a Kickstarter, a little free advice to you, people pay me for this consultation. And I I would speak straight to even the people I'm working with now, you and anybody, and you've heard me say it before. It has more to do with you believing in what you're doing than anything. If you lose faith in what it is that you're doing while you're doing it, the ship will sink. You know what I mean? And if you keep believing in it and you, keep working your ass off Mm -hmm. you'll get it that's it that's those are the two key ingredients work your ass off and believe in it you know what i mean and and when i'm doing mine when you're doing yours you know it's easy to believe in your own thing i mean i find it easier to believe in my own thing than other people's things you know what i mean but it doesn't matter whether i believe in other my clients projects because i'm not the the, the fuel that goes in the furnace you know what i mean mm-hmm. and so the the fuel comes from the creator, so they have to believe in it you know and so far they do and they're pushing and they're working and i think that it's they're both really good projects and yeah, yeah. i'm excited to be involved in them you know um, i mean again as as someone who gets paid to do this kind of work there are always there's always more i want from my clients than, than they're, they're, all, they're really ever able to, to bring to the table. Any, any client, because I'm, you know me, I'm like on it. Like, well, have you done this today? Do you have these four things done? You know what I mean? Right. Have you tried this? Do you want to do this? You know, constantly running ideas by you and stuff. You know what I mean? And I'm like the multitasking extraordinaire. And I think that I'm always asking more than people necessarily either have or realize they need to put into a project. Now that's, I'm not saying that that's, that's, that is a detriment, but it's a reality right. because what it takes is everything.
1: Yeah, <laughs> That's it. Yeah, you it have takes, to, that takes all your focus for a whole month. You just have to yep. push, push, push.
0: Yeah. You just can't stop, you know? So, but it's, it's exciting. It's fun to be involved in projects that I believe in. It's fun yep. to be working with you, even if vicariously in kind of a strange way, you know, cause we both are having to be, to be contributing to these projects in one fashion or another with our, our expertise. So Right. Yeah, it's cool though. But I mean, I mean, I'm excited for Steve's because for me, I always typically what I expect is that within the last week. That's really when things are going to get exciting, you know? Right. Because the last week is when you unveil new things and people start being like, "Oh man, we're running out of time." Like I actually have to either help with this or it won't happen, you know? And and there's a reality to that urgency. Both of those projects, if the people don't support them, they won't manifest. It's not something you can go and pick up at a con later down the road. It's right. now or never, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So, and th- that's an important facet I think too. So, yeah, there's a lot of ins and outs to the whole Kickstarter game for sure.
1: Well, we're we're we believe in these projects, so if you guys want to check them out, maybe contribute or share, that would be cool. I'm I'm rooting for these guys. Um, I got two cool paintings. I got to paint out of it, so I'm happy. Well, about if one that. of those
0: paintings is still available, which blows my mind because the one you've done for the Twilight Hotel guys, I think, is an unbelievable painting.
1: Super cool. Uh, it's not finished and, yet, so once it's finished well, I know, and I can do the time you know lapse, saying. I might be able to promote it some more. And it's bigger and bigger paintings are tougher to sell. Well,
0: I'm just saying if I had, if I had money for a 16 by 20, I'd buy it even in its, even in its work in progress stage. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It's a reality. You thank know, you. you know me, I don't blow smoke up
1: people's asses. It's true. You don't. All right. So what All are right. we going to do? We're going to do the, the rest of the Q and a that we missed last time. Yep. That's, that's what we're going to do. Cause there were some good questions on there and we didn't get to them. So let's right. do that. Shall we? So
0: we're going to start with Carlito Brigante. What's up, Carlito? And he says, talking about how much of a bitch Roseanne is, which other celebrities that Chet have met are not very nice and which are?
1: Uh, That's a good question. Liam Neeson, super cool. Great guy. Um, You know, one person, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but I worked with uh, Yvonne DiCarlo, Lily Munster, in in her late in life on this movie movie called cellar dweller. And I could understand her not being a very nice person working on this shitty ass movie after being in the Munsters and all these big movies in the fifties and sixties. But she wasn't very nice. She gave me a dirty look. One time I walked by her, just gave me a dirty look just for like walking by her. Like (laughs) just looked at me like (laughs) she didn't like my hair or something. She, She wasn't very nice. Um, Let's see. Uh, There's a guy named John Hawks. That's you. You know him if you saw him. He played cowboy and freaked. He was a really good guy. Really cool dude. Um,
0: what about what about Rip Torn? Is he cool?
1: I didn't work with him. I thought you did. No, no. He seems cool. I love his. Mm. I just watched him on. Steve and I started talking about def- uh, not Defending Your Life, but Lost in America. I don't know if you ever saw that well, you, Al- Albert you, Brooks But movie. You,
0: you did mention Defending Your Life in that thread.
1: Yeah, 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 which I did watch also after that because I got <laughs> an Albert Brooks kick. But if you haven't seen defend- uh, Lost in America, you should watch that one. It's great. And I have not. Rip Torn's not in that one, but he's in the uh, Defending Your Life. He's great in that. Yeah, Lost in America's great. It's really great. So let me think because I've worked with a bunch – Oh, well, I met Tom Cruise, and he was super nice, surprisingly. Yeah, you cool told dude. me
0: that one time that he, like, toured the studio you guys were working in or something.
1: Yeah, and he was super down-to-earth, super cool, nice guy. He's real short, huh? Yeah, yeah. Like my height, I think.
0: Well, you're not real short. I am So he, short. So he must not be real short. I don't consider you real short.
1: Well... I'm like,
0: do real, real short is like four foot eight, four foot 10. Well, he's
1: not that short. <laughs> it's like I don't know. Short. I'm like five, seven or five, eight. And he yeah, was not, around even, that even like five foot is pretty short to me anyway. Cause I'm well, six foot three. Yeah, yeah. You're like a giant man. It's funny. This, it's funny too, because I remember telling you this at some one point, I never, re, I, I knew you for a long time and I didn't realize how tall you were. Cause I just didn't. I was, I just didn't think of you in terms of how tall you were for some reason. I just always happens to me with people like I
0: have this. I have a thing with people where like, I, for some reason, no matter whether they're tall or short, I always feel like we're looking eye to eye. Like I never feel like I'm looking down when I'm talking to someone short and I never feel like I'm looking
1: up. Maybe you're not self-conscious about it or something. I have a really
0: hard time actually telling how tall people are. It's one of the, you know how I'm really good at like, you know, I have this weird super abilities. Like, oh, I know how much time has passed or I know how far this distance is. When it comes to how tall people are, I have no (laughs) idea really. Cause it's like, I can't judge it. Cause when I'm talking to people, I always just feel like I'm right at the right level, yeah, yeah that's
1: i always felt and then i like and then it occurred to me man you're really fucking tall you're like how tall are you six three yeah that's so yeah. tall anyway what a trip you don't carry yourself like a tall guy a lot of really tall people seem awkward like they're uncomfortable with being that tall gotcha you know?
0: so, yeah like, i've seen that like the stoop shoulders yeah, and like, the head kind of hanging yeah, forward yeah. and stuff
1: No, I mean, but but I fold up
0: well too. I mean, I'm super flexible. I'm very, my body type is very mesomorphic. So I'm like, you know, I can like fold myself up and do an incredible small space. It's kind of intense. (laughs) You'd be surprised how small I can actually get. And the thing is, when you have really long limbs like me, you have to learn to be careful and pull your arms and legs and stuff because you get because you smash into things you know like you only need to smash yourself into sharp corners and objects and hot things enough times to be like dude i gotta watch it you know what i mean
1: right i do that already and i'm short so (laughs) well (laughs) anyway what's the next question
0: well, but I wanted to mention, you know, the one thing about Roseanne being a bitch is like, who cares if she's a bitch? You know, sometimes there are these artists that it's like, it, we talked about this before, where like we can separate their personal self from their professional self, you know, mm-hmm. and certain people can't. And with her, I can, because I think what she did with that show was huge. I mean, I think it was so groundbreaking for America to basically show like, you know, low income family. And like, you know, what it, what it I remember being a kid and watching one of these episodes where she was like, had said off the the power check or the utility check but she had like forgot to sign it and it was just like the way that she'd done it so that then they would have to send it back and she Mm -hmm. could lengthen the amount of time until she had to pay the bill you know Mm -hmm. I mean bringing up stuff like that and making it funny but also pointing it out to like the greater America at the time I think was huge I mean I think culturally it was a big deal you know what I mean
1: well I can't separate that because Lisa told me (laughs) what a nightmare she was on set like I guess for people who not didn't, didn't hear it when I post that before, she uh, I think Lisa worked there on set one day for something, and there, everyone who comes in was given a talk. Don't look Roseanne in the eye, don't speak to her. Basically, if you look her in the eye, you run the risk of getting fired. And she said everybody on set was terrified of her, like constant in constant terror, even John Goodman was like terrified of her. Yeah, so everybody was afraid of her. You couldn't look at her, you couldn't talk to her. And that's just, you know, I know she's, she's crazy too. She's crazy I mean, ego. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, she just she, she's had mental illness problems and stuff. So th- that's kind of an excuse, but she was just a nightmare. Lisa said there was this kid on set for some scene and Roseanne was just yelling and cursing at everybody on, on set. And, and the the little girl turned to her mother and said, mommy, why is she so mean? <laughs> Sweet. She's all, "You're fired, kid!" <laughs> right? <laughs> um, God, I wish I could think of other actors I worked with. Ah, oh, man, because I know uh, there's been some really, really cool ones. If it, I'll have to look through my um, filmography, and you know, here here's one that wasn't really cool. What is this guy's name, though? Vinny, something he—he was that he's this big, like fighter, tough guy that that played. No, no, Vinny. He's like he was an English guy. He played.
0: Oh, the guy from Snatch and Snatch. I think
1: so. Yeah, and he played in the X Men. He was like this dude. This I forget. God, it's all just a blur to me. But he. I I, I never watched the X Men, so. Yeah. I'm going to look it up. But he, um, I mean, he wasn't mean to me, but he did come in during this meeting and I had an open Coke sitting on my desk and he was talking. Oh, Vinnie Jones. That's his name. And, you know, I was just sitting there working at my computer cause I was doing computer stuff. And then he just went over and he drank out of my Coke and put it back. down. <laughs> and I was like, what an asshole, man. Imagine that. I would never do that to somebody. <laughs> That's too great. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, and nobody said anything. It was just so weird.
0: What's weirder about it is that, like, not even that it's like, oh, you know, I'm gonna just take your stuff and drink it, but it's like, you know, he's not now. even he's not even concerned with like what what you yeah, might exactly. have on you. I know, exactly. <laughs> See, for me, it's like I, I that would be what would stop <laughs> me. From do, not even that it's rude to someone else, but it's just like I don't want to put my lips where they've right. been putting their lips. No for the shit. Fuck yeah. That yeah. person yeah. is. <laughs> For <laughs> all I know, they suck on urinal mints
1: or something. oh yeah, you know? shit. Ron Perlman oh. was cool. He, Ron Perlman, yeah, yeah, he was cool. He seems like he would be cool. Yeah. Um. Damn. I just Doug Jones, of course, is really cool. Like the coolest per- person you'll ever meet in your life. He's he's the, the suit guy that plays in every Guillermo suit show. Yeah. Um. Yeah. That's all I could think of. I'm blanking. Sorry about that. I should have prepared for this.
0: Well, that's all right. We only got so much time and we got okay. more questions. So Jimmy Ken too. He says, will there be a new DVD like disturb the normal? Maybe a part two question uh, mark.
1: You know, I've been planning on that for years and years and it's, and I really want to do it and I have all the software to do it now. Actually, I just don't have the time. So if you support my Patreon <laughs> and I get enough money, these are the kinds of things, seriously though, I'm not, I'm not going to stop because I, I know it comes across wrong, but
0: um, it doesn't,
1: <laughs> uh, the, these are the kind of things I can do when I, when I'm, when I'm don't have to hustle so hard when I make enough money through Patreon. So, I mean, I've, I've, I've got a million ideas. I got a bunch of ideas from the first DVD that I was never able to finish. And, um, Man, I would love to just spend six months working on on a bunch of three uh, d animations again. It' would be so much fun. That'd be a blast. So I hope to do it. I hope to release you know a new version of um Disturb the Normal again, like an anniversary edition or something. Remember that was one thing. I I was what gonna... we got
0: to do is we need to do a double a double disc with. I like to paint monsters and disturb the normal
1: together. Oh, that would be you cool! I and mean? yeah. do a
0: collector's edition where it's got the sleeve that they both go into. Can we you know do that? I mean?
1: Can we just do it on our own? No. Or, oh, okay.
0: I mean yes, yes and no. Couldn't you buy <laughs> wholesale from Yes and no. We can we can sell we can sell them on our own as long as they meet a certain price point. So
1: right, yes, but I we mean we can do do buy that. from them wholesale and Correct. repackage our own. And thing. then you can make your disturb the
0: normals and then create our create our own slipcase for it and our own yeah. inserts and everything. Yeah, totally. We could absolutely do that. hundred percent.
1: Okay. Well once once and again I think we should. Yeah. Once again, if, if if we if we can earn enough from Patreon then Things like that will happen.
0: Well, that goes both ways. I'll, I'll, I'll just, I'll grab the, your coattails. Cause it's the same thing for me. If I have more time, I can help chat do all this kind of stuff too. He and I work very well, clearly together. And I also have a Patreon you can support, which will help me to do the same thing because I need less than he needs, but I still need more than I have.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. I got, I got, I got one Guillermo del Toro, of course. And I'm sure I've said this before, but he is super, super, super great. Cool dude. Super cool.
0: You should tell him what he said about, after watching I Like to Paint Monsters, if you feel comfortable saying that.
1: Uh, no. Okay, fine. He, he loved it, though. He did love it, but that one story you're it. talking about, I'm not going to, I don't want to. I figured it. you wouldn't. <laughs> That's his business, but it, it was a good thing. It's just kind of personal. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've heard nightmare things about Jim Carrey, but he. I never saw him do anything crazy. I've heard other stories about him being difficult, but... Well, he seems. I mean,
0: after you watch that documentary about him playing me and Andy or whatever, right. I mean that that has to be difficult to deal with. I mean yeah. that's pretty eccentric. I'm not saying that there wasn't something more possibly going on there. I'm just saying, it's pretty uh, it's pretty self centered and it's pretty eccentric.
1: I heard uh, on the Grinch, he would just like tear his this thousand dollar thousands of dollar hair suit that he had to wear every day. He would just want to get out, so he'd like tear it and rip it off him and just destroy it, just kind of like that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, and uh but you know, the thing about prosthetic work, I was in Planet of the Apes and I did that prosthetic for a day in a, in a makeup and it was it kind of gave me a a little more understanding to actors that are bitches when they get in makeup because it's really uncomfortable. I I hated it. I turned into an asshole, me, Mr. nice guy. <laughs> I was like being snippy with people because I had this bright idea that Oh, this costume, I don't want to take it off to have to pee, so I'm not gonna drink any water. So which was really stupid. And so um I ended up getting totally dehydrated, super uncomfortable, super hot, and I just became a total asshole. And I was really kind of ashamed of myself. I mean, I didn't pitch a fit or anything, but I definitely was mean to people that just regular people on the crew, like I was such a it was weird. It just my some switch went off in my brain.
0: I had this image of you pitching, the, the, my version of you pitching a fit was like just the full on like six year old tantrum where you throw yourself on the ground <laughs> and you're like
1: stomping and kicking, but lying
0: on your belly, you I know, like but like that. as an adult, that was like I my, like my mental that. version.
1: I also heard Eddie Murphy is supposed to be a nightmare too, but I never worked with him. So that's just from what I've heard. Anyway, I looked through my resume and nothing's jumping out at me as anything great. Chris Elliott. He was cool. I did yeah. stuff on him. I don't know if you know who he is, but um, yeah, he was he was nice. Oh, Jack Black, he was nice. What about Adam Sandler? Uh, I didn't really work with him. I yeah, you worked on the Waterboy. I did, but I I didn't. I don't think I went on set for that. A lot mm-hmm. of stuff I I, I did in, in the studio creating this stuff, and I didn't go on set. I remember it's funny with Jack Black, and I probably because I was naive at the time, because I, I was younger and I hadn't dealt with a lot of celebrities, but. Both Jack Black and Chris Elliott, who are very funny people, Jack Black was like super serious. Yeah, didn't really crack a smile because all you know, but just nice, normal guy. But didn't mm-hmm. wasn't joking at all. Didn't wasn't smiling at all. Really, just kind of like regular person you'd meet. Mm-hmm. He was talking about music a lot. Mm-hmm. I remember that much. He just wanted to talk about music that he was into, and he was into Sebado, This band Sebado that I'd never heard of at the time. And then Chris Elliott as well. He was, I just was dumb. I was thinking he was going to be like funny. Like he normally is. And he wasn't at all funny at all. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just, but he was normal. I was like, because it's just, that's their yeah, act. That's, that's, yeah. That's, that's, what that's they their job. Do, like their that's character their job. Play. Like, yeah. Yeah. But I was,
0: why, at, would I, they, why would, why would they go to the trouble to do that? That's when what I mean. It's duty so duty. dumb.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, but, uh, I got to ask him about get a life, which is that show. I don't know if you remember it from the nineties. Yeah. It was really funny. I thought it was really funny. And he was just, he was like, yeah, I look back on that show. It wasn't really that good. I'm like, no way. It's great. But it, it was cool. He was, it was nice. Um, uh, okay. That's good.
0: All right. We are on to Chrissy whiskey. Uh, she has a bunch of questions in here, but I didn't click the see more before I screenshot it. However long ago this was, and this was on the, what the, the ninth. Uh, so, but we can ask the first three that she has. The first is, have you watched the blur lines documentary? Yes. What do you think of the top tier blue chip contemporary art market?
1: I think it's bullshit.
0: She says the million dollar price tags <laughs> being valued above technique or
1: meaning. I think it's a scam. Yeah, I've I've heard him say this. Yeah, I've said this before on the podcast. I think it's a scam. I think it's a total, total rip off. And not to say I, I understand art and different forms of art and different forms of modern art. I mean, I'm not a, a an authority on it by any means, but I do understand, you know, art that I understand the art that a lot of people consider bullshit art. I get that it's legitimate. You know, like the the dirty underwear in the corner of the gallery being called art. I get where that's coming from. And my issue that I always, I always say this with that scene is that blue chip scene is that that kind of stuff gets preferential treatment, you know, and if over stuff where technique is important and I think, you know, it's all valid in its own way but it's unfair to give especially stuff that takes no talent or technique whatsoever to get preferential treatment. That is just wrong. It'd be one thing if you were like holding everything up as equal and saying, these are just different flavors for whatever your taste is, but it's not. It's like the stuff that's the preferential stuff is the stuff that most regular people don't understand and don't connect to. And they need, you know, this, this, uh, uh, art, uh, establishment to explain it to them. And most, you know, a lot of, I don't know about most of the time, but a lot of the time it's bullshit, even the explanation. And I know, because I know people that have worked with some of these high end conceptual blue chip artists and they have said that it's bullshit. Like they know it's bullshit too. And it's, this isn't true for everybody, but I do know instances, instances, instances where, these artists, or at least one, has said, you know, it's basically the, the, the story is bullshit. You just have to make something up. And, um, you know, I just look at some of the stuff in modern art galleries or in blue chip galleries, and I'm just like, what makes you want to create that? Like, I cannot, I don't have a feeling for it. It doesn't inspire me to go make my own piece like a dark art painting or sculpture would do it or an old comic book cover or something like that. That is what makes me want to create. And so I'm just, I'm sure it's possible that someone sees like a boulder spray painted gold and inspires them. Maybe, you know, I kind of feel like in in some respect you have to be indoctrinated into that whole belief system of that art school kind of belief system that this is what is good art. This is what is contemporary. This is what is worth paying attention to that seems to have an effect on what your tastes are but you know for me it's got to just resonate on some deeper level and none of that stuff ever does for me you know well,
0: I mean, I totally know because the whole reason that I, after getting an AA in fine art school at college at a university, I dropped out of art school and went to film school to get my <laughs> BA yeah. was because of that, you know, cause it was a, it was a bullshit scene, you know? I mean, that was the thing. They were basically saying you could, that one in a thousand of you will make it in the gallery scene and the other 999 of you will have to be commercial artists. And mm. we're basically preparing you for for the latter of the two inevitabilities. Mm. Well, and educating you about all the stuff that has to do with art, which was great. I mean, art school was awesome for the time that I did it, but it's like, it reaches a certain point where it's like, well, what are you going to do with your life? I certainly wasn't going to be a gallery artist and I certainly wasn't going to be a commercial artist. So it was like, okay, well, I'm not doing those two things and that's all they're preparing me to do here. So I'm not going to do that. But you learn a lot of things through that process. Like, here's why I say that, like, I think that there's something to it, but it has to do with the era because you look back at like Marcel Duchamp, right? This is a guy who, came up with the idea of a ready-made, which is the same thing as a pile of underwear in the corner of the room. What he did was he came into this scene and in order to disrupt the scene, he took a urinal and he wrote our mutt, which was his pseudonym as a a cross-dressing man and came as a woman. And you know what I mean? Yeah. And, 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 and basically hung a urinal on the wall. And the point of that was it, it made sense culturally at that time right. what it's he was the, saying. He was bucking the system. Yeah, it's the but context. the thing is it's not the same now. Right. You know, and know so you have to take these things in context, right. you know. And and the the thing is though, is that the money will tell you what's going to be popular and who controls the money and who controls who deems what that art is worth, you know, those are the people, those are the gatekeepers, you know, and yeah. that's what that's that's the thing i think that you take the greatest cause with to whatever degree
1: yeah because it's a tiny little group and it's a very small group of really rich people and high-end art curators and and um gallery owners on this very high level everybody knows each other and these you know people that just have so much money they don't know what to do with it they are told by these gallery directors that this is going to gain value. And it's kind of like a money laundering scheme, a place to put your money that, that you where there's not a lot of, um, um, uh, God, what's the word I'm looking for? Oversight. Yeah. Government oversight or it's like, it's a, it's an easy way to park your money. And, 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 but the thing is they're creating the, the demand and the value, it's like this closed little system of all these rich people just sucking each other off basically. And it's so unfair, but it's just unfair. But the, you know what? There's all kinds of unfair things. The world's in the world. unfair. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> doesn't have anything to do with it. You just gotta, nope. we know what we're doing is, is good. So we're going to keep doing it and fuck the rest.
0: Well, and the thing is, is that, you know, the, the reason we still talk about Marcel Duchamp is because of what he did that, that was to whatever degree irreverent given the, the culture at the time. And when we, but when we talk about the great artists like Rodin and stuff like that, it's like the reason you're talking about them is because of the skill that they had Mm -hmm. and, you know, and these, these amazing works and these achievements that they created, you know? And so really it's like, if you want to actually do your art to, you know, pay yourself and you also want to do something for the long-term lineage of art history, then you owe it to yourself to be original and to do what's right for yourself and to walk and, and create your truth because those are the people who influence. Those are the people who remain in the annals because and those are the people that the the backs of the new artists are built upon. So I, I think it's vastly important that you know, if you just want to make a lot of money, there are a lot of ways to hustle. You know, there are all kinds of hustlers in this world and and the art realm is really you know it's it's not really a, a very good place to try to ply a hustle really you know yeah, you'd be right. better hustling a lot of other things real than that. Estate it's like being a writer like a, what what am i going to hustle as a writer you know right, what i mean right. yeah there are a lot of ways to make money and Stock then there's market, this.
1: real estate
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you know the thing is is that if you can make enough to get by and if you're willing to put in the work that is required to do it then it is worth it you know and there are many yeah. people around here that are living it that can attest to it yep all right, let's move on to another question, because watch, we'll run out before we even finish these 10 ones. <laughs> okay. So, okay, uh, Jim minutes. Sufert, is that how you pronounce his name? I know
1: you know him, Sufert. Yeah, I, Sufert. I think it's... I always read it as Seifert, but I know it's spelled S-E-U. Anyway. Okay,
0: well, maybe Jim Seifert. Either way, his question is, how do you break lack of confidence
1: barriers? That's a good question, but I have a really lame answer. And that is you just have to make yourself do it. That's what I did anyway. Anytime I was feeling insecure, I, but I've, it's, I've like, I've said this before. I've always kind of been like that. Like I'm, I guess I have a certain amount of impulsivity when it comes to doing things that I'm uncomfortable with. I will just kind of do it. You know, once I decide I'm going to do something, I just do it. And I just try and not think about it and get too stressed out about it. So I, you know what, like for example, when I started showing in galleries, I was very uncomfortable about that whole thing. And I didn't know how to talk to people. Um, I could have never done a show like this back then. I was really shy. I'm shy by nature and not really great with um, talking to people, although I I can do it now, but it still feels uncomfortable most of the time, you know, but anyway, uh, when I first started showing, I would commit to these shows before I had a chance to really think about it. You know, if I got invited, I would say yes. And then of course there's going to be months leading up to it where you're stressing out and thinking, Oh, I got to go find this place, drop my painting off, meet these people who run the gallery that I don't know, go to the gallery and try and talk to people and network. (laughs) And you know, that's all stuff is all was, was a big source of anxiety for me. But, I just knew that that's what I had to do if I was going to make it. So I just had nope. to do it, you know? Um, so, you know, I didn't, I didn't talk myself out of it. I just, I just went for it. You know, I, I guess maybe cause I, I had made the, really made the decision in my mind that I was going to do this no matter what it took. So you just do it. You do it in spite of the, the fact that you're insecure. You just do it anyway, you know? That's well, and there's a—I I
0: mean, there's a there's a term term for that in in psychology, and they call it immersion therapy, you know, mm-hmm. and that's that's a it's it's a thing that they do, you know. Right. A person is afraid of go make a
1: friend in a going- grocery store
0: going in the dark, you know, then you go in the dark and you be there with it and you, you experience that, you know? And the thing is, is that I think you can take baby steps towards that, this notion of immersion therapy. It's like, you don't take someone who has a phobia of spiders and put them in a room with 10 tarantulas. (laughs) Put their their head
1: in a bucket full of spiders.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's not what you do. But the thing is, I'll give you, uh, for instance, I I was friends with a guy many years ago in Washington and he was really afraid. Uh, He had claustrophobia issues and I invited him on a cave hike with me to go into a subterranean lava tube that is both large and small at varying varying places. And he worked up his nerve and went and did it. And he came out a different person. I mean, yeah. his claustrophobia wasn't entirely cured, but he was a different person, you know? So immersion therapy definitely has a lot of potential, but also there's the old cliche. And I can't remember the, na- the name of the woman who this quote is from, but feel the fear and do it anyway, right. you know? the terms are cliche for a reason. So it's like, you're afraid, you you could be afraid, and you could still do the thing you're afraid of. Because, of course, once you've done it, you demystify it, and it becomes less fearsome because you faced it.
1: Yeah, that's what courage is. Courage is doing it even though you're afraid. You still do it. You know what I mean? It's like Uh, people think everybody's afraid, I think. Especially, you know, I bet you Guillermo... Gets nervous when he has to do a speaking thing, or you know, starts a new film. Everybody gets afraid and nervous and insecure, especially people in the arts. It just comes with the territory. You just have to do it anyway. That's all there is to it. just got to make yourself do it. You can do it. Sometimes you
0: find out you have some hidden talent. I mean, you know, Chet had to, you know, kind of lean on me and we leaned on each other to do this podcast because I've always been kind of a, you know, I mean, I was a technophobe to whatever degree up until 2010. I hadn't even been on social media and I had a piece of electrical tape over the camera on my computer, (laughs) lest someone possibly see my life or something, you know? So the reality is, is like for me to sit down and do a, a podcast, it wasn't like I was, you know, I was excited and interested in it. And I wasn't necessarily, I would say overtly nervous, but I certainly didn't know that I had quote, what now Chet calls my hidden talent. You know, I didn't know that I, I, I yeah, was right. good at speaking in this manner. I mean, I know that when I speak with people in person, people seem to respond well to how I speak to them, but well, I didn't know that it had this, this other potential
1: avenue. Well, you, know, you, you, didn't, to a larger... you didn't know. And maybe until that time we, you got invited up, we got invited up to the, on the stage at, uh, what was that? At uh, Paradise where, Tattoo at Paradise. Convention, yeah, yeah and, and you started talking? interviewing me. It was like a last minute that thing. Was that was
0: like that was the day after that my first Kickstarter launch. So like my <laughs> right my launch <laughs> of Kickstarter never done that before. <laughs> no idea what's going on. You know what I mean?
1: Um, yeah, and and you got up and they just asked us five minutes before. Can you do an interview? Can you interview Chet on stage? And there was like a lot of people, kind of a lot of people in the crowd. I well, guess. and they were
0: doing like a live feed yeah. <laughs> to their whole Tattoo Now clan, yeah, which yeah. is like I. You know, 100,000 viewers or something. And we
1: just went up and did it. And then Mike, like, interviewed me, like, David Letterman or something. And I was like, <laughs> are you, I, I, after, I was like, are you, like, have you ever done this before? Because you're amazing at it. And you're like, nope.
0: <laughs> I was like, I was I thinking. Just
1: all I was thinking, yeah, right. You're full of shit. You must have some experience. And, and then it turns out he was totally just this Being hidden, honest. hidden talent you know? So well, that's the the he was rewarded is, and, by, by, uh, just going for it, you know? Well,
0: the thing is, is that it's like, it's not, you know, I don't remember feeling profoundly nervous before doing it or anything either. It was just like, I certainly had never done it, but I, the way I look at everything kind of is like, well, what do I mean? Why not? What yeah. do I have to lose? Yeah. You know, you know, like what's the worst thing that's going to happen really. And for someone like me and, and maybe this is relative to some other people that are listening. If you've gone through some really intense trauma, whether that is like, you know, physical trauma in your life, or you had some kind of mental trauma that you went through for me, the, you know, dream stuff that I went through that I talk about in my podcast emails from infinity. You know, if you've gone through intense traumas, I, I think it, it tempers you in a way where it's almost like you've kind of already been to hell. Right. You've already kind of been through the worst. So it's like, you're kind of like, well, what's the worst that's going to happen? Yeah. I mean, nothing worse can happen to me than already happened. Right, you know what right. I mean? So there's a certain freedom in that, I think. Yeah, and I, sure. I, I know that I, I'm I'm surrounded by a lot of people that have gone through some really intense stuff and I know that we share that in common where it's like you kind of feel like, Well what do I have to lose? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And you weigh your cost and your benefit and you 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 know, play your money and pay, place your bets and yeah. go for it. Yeah. Well, all right, moving on. Rod, Rob <laughs> Rob Elrod. <laughs> hey, I'd Rob. like to hear more about what sets dark art apart from horror art? I thought
1: that was a great question. That is a great question. And I did, I saw, I hung out with Rob uh, at Monsterpalooza. He came out from Colorado, I believe, and hung out all weekend. So it was good talking to him. He's a really cool guy. Um, That is a good question. That's a good question. I think it's like, uh, it's weird because there's definitely overlap. You know, I think horror art, falls under the umbrella of dark art, but dark art doesn't necessarily fall under the umbrella of horror art. So I think that's a great way of putting it. Yeah. Dark arts, like a larger thing and horror art is one little tiny aspect. subgenre. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think, you know, I like, I like some horror art, you know, I love the iron iron maiden album covers and stuff like that. You know, I'm into it. It's cool. It's fun. Um, but you know, it's generally associated with more of a lowbrow type, you know, not as high-minded maybe as you would you would consider something that's dark art. Or at least we're trying to change that perception anyway. I think a lot of people kind of equate them. But um, I mean, to me, it's I, maybe it's a personal thing. Maybe it's something that hasn't really been defined in the public eye yet. But to me, it's more. I think that I would say that horror art is more generally there to shock whereas dark art is more there to promote a sense of wonder maybe or, or to get you thinking it's a little more subtle um Again, this is just how I I, how I view it. And when I think dark art, I think of more symbolist type of artwork, where it's more you know stream of consciousness and mysterious, and not spelling everything out. Maybe that's one thing where horror art. When I think horror art I'll think of a zombies eating a guy's guts and it's like it's right. all right there for you <laughs> there's just not really there's a lot nothing, of subtext there, there's nothing know?
0: psychological going on cuz it seems like what you're talking a lot about with dark art your definition of it is that it has to do with psychology that it's psychological.
1: Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, <clears throat> I, th- I think that's part an of, element it. of it. Yeah, that's an element of it. But also it is like like uh, Chris Chris was talking uh, about on the Twilight Hotel episode that the whole subtext element mm-hmm. of writing, and I think maybe that's also a difference from what I would consider horror art and dark art is that dark art has a more a sub a subtext, maybe it's a little bit deeper mm-hmm. you know and but you know there's probably room to take horror art into that direction you know it's there's there's room to grow in that field. It's all kind of new in a way now that we're treating this kind of stuff as legitimate art forms, will be able to grow these different little subgenres and, and elaborate on them and let them become something bigger than they used to be maybe, mm-hmm. you know?
0: Well, and I think that's the, be- I think you make the best point and that's that <clears throat> there isn't anything that's, that's elaborate that defines the, you know, the delineation between dark art and horror art. But I think the best way you describe it is, is that ho- horror art does fall in my opinion as well under the umbrella of a large category which right. is dark art because horror art is clearly dark it's dark right, you right. know but it is a subcategory or a subgenre to whatever degree of which there are many in that right. that spectrum. And I think that, you know, to me, horror art is, as you've said, more superficial to whatever right, degree. Right, right, it's, you right. know, and not in a bad way, and I don't mean that in a negative connotation, but simply it is more on the surface. It's more clear what the intent of right. the artwork is saying. You yeah, know like, what I mean? Like a feeling you're getting from it. Right. Because they each connotate a certain dark emotion. When I look at dark horror art, it gives me Feeling you know mm-hmm. conjures just like when I look at regular dark art, but the the difference I think again is in the depth of it. Right. And and you know how long can I stand and stare at horror art? Well, it's relatively superficial. So once I've looked at it and seen it, I'm probably like done with it. Whereas right. dark art for me, I'm going to want to really stand there and th- and then come back and look at it again, and then maybe think about it while I'm not looking at it. <laughs> you know what right, I mean? Right. And so there's a deeper thread there. You know?
1: Right? Yeah. I mean. Compare a Bekshinsky painting or a Giger painting to like a Cannibal Corpse album cover. That's kind of the difference. You know, one's more about, you know, shock on the surface straight up, you know, and then the other one's like more surreal and cerebral, I guess. And gets you thinking. So I don't know. I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah.
0: All right. We got Caleb Osgood deal here. What's and up, he Caleb? says, can you recommend any daily drawing, painting exercises to build strong fundamentals?
1: Oh, that's a good one.
0: And he said, also figure drawing books. Thanks.
1: Uh, okay, figure drawing books. We'll put this in the link. Let's remember to put this in the link. I, I've been giving this out to a lot of people lately, but there is a website that has all of the books, art instruction books by, what the hell's his name? Oh, Andrew Loomis, who was this great uh, un- un- underrated um, artist and art teacher from, I think, the 50s, maybe. And uh, he has a whole bunch of books out, maybe the 40s and 50s. I don't know, but they're they're someone, they're someone out of print. A lot of them are out of print. So someone scanned them all, and they offer them on this website. I think if you search Save Loomis, it'll come up. It's alexhayes.net, maybe. But um, we'll put a link in the description. And you can download, I think like 10 of his books that he, that are scanned and as saved as PDFs for free. Yeah. And one of them in there is called, um, figure drawing for all it's worth. And it's really good, really, really, really good. So I would, you know, if you guys are serious, really serious about brushing your skills up and, and being the best you can be, download that book and draw every page in the book you know, do that, put that time in because you will come out of it way better than when you went into it. Um, I know that people don't have the time to do stuff like that nowadays, but if you're serious,
0: well, that that would be a great kind of a cop out because it's like, everybody has time to sit down for, you know, five minutes here, 10 minutes, there, 30 minutes here, 10 minutes there, you know? Oh yeah,
1: I agree. It it should be done. It's just, you know, if you're going to, if you, if you want to be like, I'm saying, we all, I'm always saying we have to be better than everyone else just to prove that we're legit because we're so marginalized as dark artists. So we really need to take more time to study the fundamentals so that that we could just be considered equal. But um, yeah, so figure drawing for all it's worth is great and daily exercises. Anytime you can draw from life is a great thing to do or paint from life. Um, If, if you're not, if you don't follow him already, I follow him on Facebook, uh, James Gurney, and he also has a blog called Gurney's Journey where he just posts stuff about art just about every day or every every few days. And he's always got, I'm so impressed with him. I mean, he's like a ma- modern master and he's always got his little paint box and he paints in gouache and he paints in oils. He does every different type of style. He does drawings, but he's everywhere he goes, he's drawing people. If he's at a coffee shop, he's drawing people in the coffee shop. If he's at a car dealership getting his car serviced, he did this great one where he painted the inside while he's waiting for his car to get his oil changed or whatever. He painted the inside of the car dealership and he paint is amazing. Amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, and, he, course, oh, and that's
0: what our, that's what our crumb would do too. You know, our yeah, crumb was yeah. just drawing everyone everywhere. He yeah.
1: Went, yeah. You know? I mean, that's what, that, that's the main thing is you just got to draw all the time because especially, you know, you have to be able to draw good to be a good painter, I think, or draw well. And so, Drawing all the time is the is the most basic thing you can do, but I think drawing from life is really important um, if you want a daily exercise. So,
0: I think that the, to to spin off of that, the egg, you know, that was one of the things that I learned in college that was really helpful when I was doing fine art and really studying it is draw or paint an egg, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, really, because it's, it's so incredibly difficult to do it right. right. And, you know, but once you do it right, you can carry that over in ways that are unbelievable, you mm-hmm. know, and it's not something that you really like, Oh, I know how to do this now. Therefore it's just like, once you've, if you can draw a really good egg with a good hard light and shadow on it, or paint yeah, a really reflected good, egg with light, good light. And all yeah, that. exactly. Do it, you know? And if you can, then you'll be able to carry that over in ways that you're not even going to be conscious Aware of. They right. will just affect your overall yeah, ability. That's true. true. Eggs, motherfuckers.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: Don't break them and cook them, though. You might make Chet puke. <laughs> <laughs> so the next question I have the answer for, I'll read it to you. It's from Michael Whitlock. He says, if a woodchuck chucked wood, how much wood would the woodchuck chuck? And the answer to that is five.
1: Okay. That's a good or one.
0: A <laughs> Lorna mess. This is the, this is one that you're interested in answering. I think we're getting oh, yeah. towards the end here, like two left. Lorna asked the same question twice. So let's just kind of wrap it all together. What influences your perceptions and how does that create your reality? There was also a, a, something in here about perceptions of normality.
1: Yeah. I, I thought this was an interesting question because of when I got sick last week, was that a week ago or yeah. Long? Yeah. Something like that. I got really, really sick. Oh my God. I was so sick. It was a nightmare. But at one point when I was,
0: Oh no, that was two weeks ago.
1: Okay. Um, At one point when I was puking on the bathroom floor, I looked over at this clump of like hair that fell out of a hairbrush. It was like a tangle of hair. I told Mike all this already, so he knows what I'm talking about. And I remember seeing that little thing of hair earlier on the floor and it was looked like hair. And then as I got sick, I started kind of hallucinating And I was looking at that hair and it looked exactly like a spider. And even though I knew it wasn't a spider, I was thinking, hey, I can see the legs. I can see it as a spider perfectly clearly. And it really got me thinking about how perception happens inside of your brain. And that's how hallucinations work. Because everything we see at all times, whatever you're looking at right now, is not you are not seeing the object you think you are seeing you're seeing light reflected off of that object. That's all you're seeing. You're not seeing the surface of that object. You're seeing light reflected off the surface of that object, shooting into your eyeball, flipping upside down, and then getting processed through your brain into something that you can understand visually. So it just, you know, and I and like I was telling Mike, I always knew this intellectually, but it really hit home how tr- really, truly, real it is that nothing we are seeing is necessarily how it actually looks or nothing we are seeing is actually what it is. Like, Mm -hmm. like, like I said, it's all light reflected off of surfaces. That's all you're seeing. And when I, when I saw that, that little clump of hair, that was a spider that looked like a spider, it was like my brain was taking the information shooting the light reflected off of all those surfaces, shooting it into my eyeball and then processing it to make it look exactly like a spider to me. Mm-hmm. So I was seeing a spider, but it wasn't a spider. It was a tangle of hair. Right. So that just got me thinking that, you know, I'm sure people that are, um, you know, severely mentally ill that hallucinate it must. I mean, there's something the mind is creating visions in the same way that the spider th- thing happened for me except it's people or whatever that they're saying it's and pretty so, fascinating huh? yeah so it's almost like augmented well, that's
0: even like that book you gave me the the robert Anton wilson book where he's talking about you know how the fact that an orange is actually blue right. you know and that and we're just seeing it as the color orange because of the whole process of light refraction but in fact you know this right. object is it's really blue you know? right right <laughs> but the thing is is I know that, you know, you and I've talked about it before, but I've had a couple of very marketed experiences that were similar to that, where I was in one case sitting in a dorm room in college and I was like, had my knees propped up and had my sketchbook on my knees and I was like drawing and there was a chair, like a wooden chair in right. front of me. And it totally looked like it was balancing on this one back leg. And it was like a wooden, heavy wooden chair and three legs I couldn't see. Well, I couldn't see any of the legs, but the way that it was sitting, like it absolutely – I was like, dude, that chair is somehow impossibly balancing on a <laughs> single leg. Like, And I'm like, how the fuck is that happening? And then I moved the sketchbook and all of a sudden my perception had to reconcile because it was just the angle that my knees and me and the bed and the sketchbook all have created to make it look like. And I was convinced in my mind, like I had already filled all the gaps in like how it was sitting, everything, you know? And then when I moved my knees, it wasn't instantaneous. It was like a slingshot. It was really weird. It was like for one second, it was how I actually saw it in my mind. And then it like snapped. It went like, and it was all of a sudden, like in a completely different position, you know? And I watched in my own mind, the process of my perception shifting from the one thing to the other and was like, holy shit, that's it. That's how it works, right? Right. (laughs) That's how perception works. And so from that point forward, I started like any time that something like that would happen, I would really try to like make it elongate, like try to lengthen the amount of time that I could was seeing it how it wasn't before it would snap back to what it was, you know, and had many experiences with it that were really like bizarre because of it, because it yeah. really is something that's occurring in an electrochemical fashion. It's not something that's actually occurring in any other fashion. Yeah. There's no verifiable proof that anything that I'm seeing could be anywhere near anything you're seeing. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah.
1: And, you know, I want to say too, it's almost like hallucinations are sort of like augmented reality, you know, VR where there's an, everything looks. What well, isn't augmented reality. Right. That's when, what I was going to say though. The it's not. What we're saying. Yeah. Cause I, cause I was saying, I was going to say, it's like augmented reality where the spider is all of a sudden there, but everything else looks normal. But, but everything is augmented reality because everything you're seeing is like not really the thing. It's what your brain is telling you. The light reflected is seeing.
0: Yeah, it's a description. That's that's one of the it's, things in the Castaneda books he would always talk about is that we're actually seeing the description of the source. We're not actually right. seeing the source. And the whole idea in that series was seeing that like, we're all looking, but we don't see because we're distracted by the description that we're telling ourselves. We're not able to actually interpret time as it occurs. There's always a gap, basically, because right. we always have to describe it to ourselves first in right. some fashion is that computation you're talking about. So it's not like we're ever in the moment, really, because we're always in this process of digesting the information, categorizing and describing it back to ourselves yeah, so in order to sense, actually yeah. engage with it. Yeah. Right, right. It's so bizarre. So then you have to wonder, like, why is it that we have this filter? Why is not we're not able to actually engage with time as it approaches us directly, you know, and, and be able to actually engage with these things that are seemingly around us immediately without a description why does there have to be a description or an interpretation between the thing and the observer you know and that's when you get into object and observer and quantum physics and you know
1: well you know it's it's like these bodies are these weird spacesuits that that can exist in this reality so and we're like remote viewing them And we feel like we're in the bodies, but we're actually not. And yet we are at the
0: same time. That's that's, that's the the paradox. You can talk about paradox.
1: Or we're in the the spacesuits looking around. You could look at it like that too. But again, you get to the
0: quantum physics thing and it's like it's a particle and it's a wave. It's not like it's one or the other. It's actually both. So it's like we are here and we're not here at the same time. That's why we can't really talk about it because it's paradoxical. It's the co-occurring of two things that are seemingly diametrically opposed that in fact coexist.
1: And that's, and the, you know, and the real true reality is that we're all the same thing and everything is the same is that, thing. So we're just, just looking at ourselves, but it's not even really, it's crazy. Anyway, I don't know if that answered the crazy. question.
0: Well, you did. You, you, I think you did answer the question. I, one
1: thing it seems like though, after, after having that spider thing happen, it seemed like, man, it seems like you should be able to make yourself hallucinate. Well, you can well, I mean, by just will, just by, 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 well, what
0: do you think? I mean, what do you think that all those people that were working so hard to meditate for so long were trying to do, but get a chemical release?
1: Yeah, but they're not you know? specifically going, okay, I'm going to make a blue cat walk by and then you can make a blue cat walk by. I mean, well, that's you what you should you be able to do. To. You, you could, yeah, you, you probably, worked hard at that type yeah, of meditation. Probably, maybe, yeah, maybe, There's maybe. all types of meditation, right? Maybe. Anyway, it just seems you know? like something you should be able to do like that.
0: <laughs> well I mean again you got people like we had Martin Ball on here and he basically he was saying that you know well you know I've gotten to the point now where I can release the you know chemical concoctions from my brain by intent. And that's not a new song that's being sung. And I'm not, I, you know, I don't know whether he can or he can't, but the thing is, is that the reality that's been said by lots of people for a long time. So that's nothing new. Right. Right. So yeah, people can do that. I think that it's just a matter of each individual is a signature concoction of elemental and energetic things, you know, I just want to be
1: able to do it right now.
0: Well, I, I it, maybe you can if you could teach yourself how. See, again, it's all a matter of how do you how how do you? I don't want to put yourself. any of the work in. I well, just want because to- <laughs> you're too busy painting. You're too busy putting the work in somewhere else. But I'll give you a little trick to it, and this is what I would say is that you know that's a big part of what shamanism has already had to do with, and always had to do with is is basically the idea of tricking yourself into seeing something in a completely different fashion and accepting and believing it as that. Right. You know what I mean? And so once you're able to do that, then the idea then would be to help someone else to do that for themselves. Cause you can't actually do that for them. Each person has to find a way to do it, but it does begin with trickery to whatever degree. Like I'm trick, I accidentally tricked myself with my knees and thought that the chair was doing this thing. It wasn't intentional. It wasn't malicious either. You know, the word trickery gets a bad rap. It was just that I, I saw it a different way. And then you know, I think the, 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 the hard part then is to continue to see it in this alternate fashion once the reconciliation process starts to occur, right? Because, you know, how often do you double take at something, right? You're driving yeah. along and you look and you're like, what the – and you look again. You're like, huh? You know, and all of a sudden it's what it should be. But the first time it was something that it shouldn't be. And you're like, huh? You know, to be able to elongate the space between that reconciliation, that's the shaman's trick. You know yeah. what I mean? Because yeah. that's when you open up that potentiality for anything. Because at that moment, what is and what is not is malleable. Because it's malleable within your own perception. And right. of course, perception dictates reality. Okay. <laughs> you know?
1: We got one more question. It's it.
0: like, shut up about it. <laughs> you should be doing this. <laughs> but you, just because you're not interested in what I have to say. About no,
1: no, no. It's one, We're over an hour. And we still you said you <laughs> wanted to get to all these jobs. Lori <laughs> uh,
0: Coupon. How do you balance work and play, especially working for yourself? Do you set aside time every day to make art or when it hits you, do you just start creating then?
1: Well, the thing is the the work that I do for the most part at its essence is playing for me. You know, even though it's work, it's like this weird mix of work and play. It's like that old saying, you, you know, do what you love and you never work a day in your life or whatever. So, I like to work. I like to create art. So it's kind of like my play, but you know, I don't give myself, I, I, I can't afford to give myself enough time to just do whatever at this point. You know, I should, I should take what he more. He
0: does is he waits till he gets sick and yeah. then he's down and out for four days yeah. being
1: miserable. In or, bed. Yeah. Or I wait till I get exhausted. Back to work. Like after monster Palooza, I end up sleeping a whole day and then I worked the next day after monster Palooza. Then I ended up sleeping a whole day and then I ended up sleeping half a day. And then I started feeling just yesterday, I started feeling normal actually. And um, yeah, it's not the right way to do it. So if you, <laughs> I'm just not disciplined in that way, it's really hard for me. So um, I don't do it the right way, but I should give myself, I should put myself on a schedule and allow myself free time where I could play, you know, cause I would, I would probably watch movies without, painting and read play more guitar. play my guitar write music and stuff like that that's fun to me but painting is the ultimate fun to me so i, I don't mind that it's that i have to do it all the time because I, I, I do enjoy it um for the most part yeah so i don't know if that answers your question don't think do that, do, do, think, as, think, do as i, think, I say I it, not as i do <laughs> You, I think that
0: you are, you know, each of us were, were, were signature entities. And so we each have our own ways and that works for you. You know, yeah. I mean, for me to answer the question for myself anyway, you know, I, I actually take more of a concerted effort than Chet does, but also what I, you know, what I do for work, I also really like to do. And it's partly recreational in that manner. So like, you know, I I really enjoy hiking, you know, I really like it. Like it's one of the top tier things for me. I love hiking. Well, you know, hiking is one of those things that I can do with touring with people. And it's one of those things where I'm able to then get my ritual art ingredients to make wards and wands and, and my ritual art. So It, you know, and also I'm taking pictures while I'm out there and I love photography and then I can share those pictures and those videos with, you know, the patrons. And so there's all of these, you know, it it all works together. And same thing Mm -hmm. with driving. I love driving. For me, it's recreational. If I could go out and just cruise for five and a half hours and drop like 400 miles and see the country and listen to music and just have a good time, that's awesome. I love that. You know, and to me that's recreation. But at the same time, when I do tours, that's what I'm doing. You know what I mean? When I'm out there on by myself, I'm I'm taking footage and I'm collecting ingredients and I'm walking the dog and you know what I mean? And I'm compiling all that. And so it's all work. You know, there's right. like there's not really for me. It's the same as you. There's not really a moment where I'm really like not working you know it's like yeah. my life is my work that's it i mean that's the big difference you know joy and i talked for years about we're so sick of having to just work for our life right. i wish my life was my work well this is what your life being your work is <laughs> it's, it's a bitch that's what you do all the time <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. and that's great you know actually i really i love it it's scary it's intense it's fun it's all these great things but it's better than it is not right. you know and that's really again how i do it but at the same time i do take time you know i'll go out and have a big Fire in the fire pit and sit around it for a few hours. Yeah, and, you, you know, take stare more time at the stars. And,
1: I, do. I read. You know, I thing. read every
0: night before I go to bed. I read, no matter yeah. what. You know, I there are things. I sit down oh. with my wife and my dogs, and I watch. And I, I you know, we eat dinner and we watch sh- movies together, <laughs> and we talk about the movies we watch. You know, and so there are very specific things, and I would say that the way that it has worked the best for me is one of the things you hit the nail on the head with is scheduling. You know, we've made these deals in my household and it's like I go in the office the office door closes I'm at work the household is the household and just like I was at a job if I take a break I walk through and do my own thing you know and there's a certain time when I stop work and there's a certain time when I start work insofar as like getting on the computer and doing that kind of work. Cause like my computer work is like your painting. It's the bulk of what I do is on this computer yeah. right here doing this. So there has to be a time when it starts, there has to be a time when it stops, you know? Mm-hmm. There, and and if, if those things are obeyed, then it really does allow you a greater range for feeling. And the thing is, the more you recreate, the more you rejuvenate, the better work you do. Mm-hmm. So it really is a, an important balance to strike. And I think scheduling, at least for me as a signature entity, really Is
1: effective, you know. Yeah, yeah. I I I do following it. (laughs) I do, yeah. I do better when I'm on a schedule. I just it's hard for me. I don't have the discipline, but I try. One thing, you know, one thing I do, and it's oh, one thing she asked too is like, you know, if you wait for the inspiration, I never wait for the inspiration to paint. Never. It's not because it's you know when you're making your money from it, you have to coax it out of yourself. You know, you have to. Sometimes I'll sit there for two days sketching a bunch of bullshit that, that nothing's good. And then after I just did this, after a couple of days, I hit like two or three good designs for paintings, but you know, it took me sketching and just not getting anywhere, but you just have to keep pushing and then you pull it out of yourself. Yeah. But I will say one thing I just kind of do naturally that I started doing on, it's really pretty weird on Sundays. What I usually do is I get up, even though I still work on Sunday, I, I give myself the most amount of, freedom on Sunday all when I'm having coffee I, I I sometimes will spend like two or three hours on Wikipedia looking up things that I was been wondering about from the week I love to research that's stuff cool. like weird just like dumb stuff like like the rat king thing you posted that
0: was super cool yeah, I yeah. didn't even know, I knew nothing about that I, know, I saw your Wikipedia crazy? link and I was like that's the coolest fucking thing I've ever <laughs> so weird. you know who would think
1: but, you know, stuff like bands from the 70s that I used to listen to, I look them up. I look up producers of albums that I like. A lot of it sort of revolves around music. Or I read that Al Jorgensen book. I started doing a bunch of research on him and just reading about stuff that I'm interested in. And that's kind of like my little playtime I let myself do on Sunday morning sometimes. But it's not, it, it's not like I planned it. It just sort of started happening every Sunday. For some reason. See, but
0: that's see, to me right there I think you bring up before because I know we're going to end this, but I just got to say I think that's a really good point that you bring up and that's that I didn't create these patterns in my life, the scheduling. The the scheduling was implemented to a pre-existing pattern, right? So what you're talking about is is like I saw that in my life. Like I, I, typically around these hours I I typically do right. this. And around this set of hours, I typically do this. So then you build and your so, schedule around that. Kind exactly. Of- so it's kind of like when you're irrigating with water, the path of least resistance, you don't try to make an uphill trench, right? You right. work with gravity. So in my life, I'm like, well, typically around these times I do these things. So why not just make it into a pattern and really make it a schedule and just say, okay, well, yeah, that yeah. is my time to do that. You know, If I'm going to fuck around an irreverent memetic code, it's not going to be until I'm done with my work day. Right. And then I can sit for 45 minutes and be an asshole on that page, you know, <laughs> but the thing is, is like, I don't get to do that. And right. it's, it's also, it's a payoff, you know, and I've mm-hmm. always done this. Even when I was in college, I would be like, okay, you can't smoke a cigarette until you've read three chapters of your science text. Right. You know, I don't want to read the three chapters, but the thing is, is that I really will do a good job reading and getting through it. And then man, that cigarette felt so good. Yeah. Like I earned it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I think that a lot of that, you know, really uh, paying yourself and praising yourself for doing things with things you like and also noticing the patterns that already exist in your life and harnessing them and saying, okay, well, fuck it. Then for an hour and a half on Sundays, that's what I do. Yeah. And that's what, I, and if anybody asks, that's where I'll be. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean?
1: That's good. Good idea. All well, right. One, that's it. One minute, 13. Yeah. We we recorded
0: a lot of time today. Yes. <laughs> the other two recordings, that's like two and that's some plus hours. Yeah. Alright, well thank you everyone for listening and uh, for your questions and we hope our answers were sufficient and that you enjoyed this and we will be back soon, in fact, in a week and we have some guests lined up that we're trying to pin down and a few more really great topic ideas so we're just trucking right along
1: Yes, and please uh, spread the word for the Dark Art Society and the Dark Art Society Patreon and all that stuff Do it Please, Please. alright, thank you Catch you guys later. Bye bye. Peace.